Class was in many ways the classic difference in the study of Welsh and British society. When sociology developed as a subject in the post-war period, it was often seen as being obsessed with class, perhaps to the extent that it crowded out other kinds of difference. And what has happened in recent years, of course, is that we've become more aware of other kinds of difference in Welsh society, particularly gender and race. And these are very valuable perspectives to have. I mean, clearly it makes some difference if you're a a worker in Wales, whether you're black or whether you're white as well. It can't simply be an issue of class. I think the downside of it has become that class has now become sidelined for many people. It's seen as something which is not of relevance anymore. And yet... While this has been happening in the last 20 to 30 years or so, what we've seen in Wales is that uh, differences in income have greatly increased. Inequality has become much greater in Wales. So class, I think, is still a very relevant issue, even though it's very important that we don't make it the only kind of difference there is in Welsh society. One of the things that's distinctive about class in Wales is that a majority of the population identify themselves as working class. That's not the case across the rest of Britain. It is in some regions, but not in other parts of of Britain. And that, I think, tells us something about the kinds of subjective feelings that people have. To say you're working class means that you think you come from the same kind of community as other people, have the same kinds of experiences. The kinds of communities we have in Wales are very much small towns and industrial villages or what were once industrial villages. And it always seems to me that if you meet someone in Wales, one of the first questions is always, where do you come from? And I think we identify ourselves in that way. But saying that you come from a particular place in Hennith, where I come from, identifies you as coming from a working class background, because there is no other class in a place like that. And the same would be true in Bethesda, Flanberis, or in many other areas of Wales. Focusing on particular study of class in Wales, it's a remarkable feature of social research in Wales that Swansea and its general region have been the focus of study on several occasions, starting with Brendan Cooney and Pollins's social change in South West Wales in the 1950s, going through to Rosser and Harris's classic study, Family and Social Change in the 1960s, and of course it recently been re-studied by uh, Nicky Charles, by Charlotte Old Davis and Chris Harris again in 2008. Now, as the title suggests, class isn't the only issue in those books, but they all give us important perspectives on the nature of class. They look at different kinds of communities within the city, and that means sometimes middle-class areas like Sketty, which is covered in all the books, sometimes under a pseudonym, and working-class areas. It was Morriston in the original study. So we learn a lot about class from detailed studies like that. I think my favourite kind of social research is always going to be the, the detailed local study, which gives insight into the way people live and help us to relate our experience to the wider study of society. When we put the three studies together, we see some quite remarkable things. The the changes in the occupational structure, which has been massive since the 1960s. So there's a great shift from manual working to white-collar working, non-manual working. 
and also the feminization of the workforce, which really is the biggest impact on the social structure. Of course, that has implications for classes as well as for gender. And it really brings home, I think, very clearly what the massive changes have been in the post-war period in Wales. How's the difference between qualitative evidence and quantitative evidence shown in Chapter 5? I think the really interesting issue about quantitative and qualitative evidence in the chapter comes very early. I present the results of surveys into people's self-identification of class, that is, do they regard themselves as working class or middle class? And that produces a precise set of statistics for the whole of Britain. You can see how many people think of themselves as working class and middle class in Wales and compare it with other areas. But then, when you look at the evidence of why people answer that question in a particular way, it almost dissolves before your face. When we look at some evidence from Swansea of the way that people regard themselves as working class or middle class, it's clear that that's in no way an objective measure. It's not the way they would be classified by the Registrar General's categorization of the population at all. But does that mean that we throw the statistics out and they're meaningless. I think, no, they're not, and that's why they're there. But what they really tell us is the way people regard class in Wales, and it's very important to have the statistic for that because it shows you why Wales is different, say, from the southeast of England. But, of course, you shouldn't confuse it with actually being working class in, in the way that you can count the size of the working class from official statistics. Quantitative evidence is very good for showing us the general pattern of a society, how many people are in the working class or in particular occupational groups, how many people are in middle class or professional groups. It's vital to get a hold on what the overall shape of a society is. But of course it tells us nothing about the experience of of class. What does it mean in people's lives? And there we can only use uh, qualitative evidence to, to get at issues like that. I mean, one classic sociological study referred to the hidden injuries of class. How do you find hidden injuries in official statistics? Not very easily, I think, but you can find them through literature like the writings of Rachel Trezise, which are used in in the chapter, or in studies which use interviews with people to draw on their subjective experiences. With quantitative evidence or qualitative evidence, I think you need always to mix those things. A particular researcher could use quantitative evidence alone and rely on other people's qualitative work and vice versa. After all, the subject is bigger than any single individual. If we want to study class in Wales, it's not done by one person. It's done by some collectivity of scholars and researchers. From the Open University... For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.